morning, church. I want to say a special thank you and a hello to people that have reached out to us from the Louisiana State Penitentiary this week. As we were in Colorado, we got a, a videogram. They can do a 30-second videogram, and we're, we're going to try to clip it and use it here. It's, it's an awkward situation, but, uh, and I've not even tasked Kirsten with it yet but um, to take these videos, but just pouring out a thanks, saying, listen, you, you don't forget us, and you love us, even though the world's forgotten us, and it just, it was very nice. We had a couple of baptisms, uh, I believe it was in Life Row two weeks ago, and that's always encouraging. We've received messages from Tanzania, Mali, and Mozambique this week, and we are just overwhelmed. We also want to ask your prayers for our brothers and sisters in Armenia, uh, they many of them are faithful watchers when they are they can get past you know um, all of the technical issues there, but not on our news is that the Russians backed Azerbaijan in invading Armenia. It is um, perhaps even Turkey is based, is backing it. I'm not a politician. I certainly don't know all the ins and outs, but what I do know is Armenia is the only nominally Christian nation there, and it's surrounded by Muslim nations that want it to be a Muslim nation. So please pray for them. Currently, there is a ceasefire, but we've had people reach out to us from there. What a, what a church that has crossed all these borders and many, many more, and I thank God for all of you, and thank you for allowing us to do this and to spread the, the news of Jesus. Today, we have a, a, rare, a big challenge. I remember seeing a nursery school Bible class. I was being given a tour of, uh, and got to see all the classes. And then one of them, the babies were strapped up in these little pods on a table. You know, so they can't, they can't move and wreak havoc upon the land. But they were, they were put, put there in these little pods. And they were given Bibles, these little Bibles. And they would sing a song about Pat, 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 our Bible. And it was very, very sweet. It was lovely. It was, it was innocent. When most people grow up, what do they do with those Bibles? Well, many read. Uh, and I'm, I'm not one of these that's going to come at you and guilt you into anything. Uh, they, most people read some sections of their Bible a lot. And they'll read it over and over. And they'll, they'll even say they know their Bible and they're not lying. They know their Bible because they know core stories. They know parables. They know the verses and passages that back up the doctrines of their denomination. And they know those very well. But do they know their Bible? It was very unfair. But I watched a couple challenges issued uh, there was there's something called a Bible bowl. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. I'm not sure that that's transdenominational, but there are certain groups that will have um, they'll assign uh, for the Bible bowl this year. Let's say the Book of Acts, and the kids will cram Acts into them uh, for for um, a year, I guess, and then you'll have these Bible bowl things like they used to do college bowls and such, where you know they would ask questions and you got to show you know the book well this particular church was doing really well and their book was exodus and the leader of the bible bowl was visiting with the elders and explaining to the elders what was coming next and then he said let me just ask you can you name the ten commandments in order and they all went white these are men that lead a church 
And they're all good people. They absolutely, in fact, I knew these people. They were good people. But I, inside, I was groaning and grinning at the same time, outside deadpan. That's what the greatest value of being a shrink is to know how to not show what's going on back there. Because I knew it was unfair, but it was also important. Because we say our, we know our Bibles, but do you know the things God hates in order? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the parables? Do you know, and, and all of us would be caught flat-footed. Every one of us. If we were challenged at that level out of the blue. The Bible is endlessly complex. It is messy. It is beautiful. And it is disturbing. And I'm always amazed at how we try to ignore the messiest parts of the Bible. Because inside, we know that if we were writing the Bible, we wouldn't put that in there. So if we are confronted with it, we try to make it sound sweet and wonderful. Now, I'm about to use a, an illustration by using a verse. This verse is in many of your homes. It is up there beautifully positioned. I don't want you to take it down. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, it is a lovely verse, but it wasn't said to you. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the Bible says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a horrible life. Jeremiah did not have one good day at work, ever. And then he disappears on the way to Egypt after he's told them, do not take me to Egypt. And they threw him on the cart and took him anyway, and history's gone. And in Jeremiah 29, God is telling the Israelites, if you turn, if you call to me, I have plans for you. And they didn't. So the verse doesn't apply to you and the people it applied to didn't listen to it and they were busted up and divided into slavery into many places. That's probably not what you're going for when you put that on your wall. But that's what we do with the messy, difficult parts. We pretty them up and we rush past them. So, um, by the way, you know what he tells him to do in Jeremiah 29? Something we don't talk about much. Christians love to talk about the end of the world. They love to talk about drama. In chapter 29, he says, I have plans for you. But stop listening to anybody telling you that they're about to happen. That you're about to be free. That you're about to be returned to your land. Build houses. Plant vineyards. Work where you are as if you're never leaving. And we never bring the rest of that chapter up. And it's in great detail. Saying stop asking about the end of the world. And when God's going to do something. And you settle. In other words. You um, stop looking at the skies. And dig in. And be God's people where you are. Wow. Now that's a message we could carry. But I have never in my life heard a sermon on it. And I'm ancient of days. Not God ancient, but human ancient. It's not cheery, in other words. And I grew up, and we're, today we're going to introduce a story of a woman. 
but we don't get to know much of her story. What we get to hear is pain. And before we even talk about it, we have, to, we have to mention David. I grew up with stories of David. I saw all the paintings. He was cute little white guy with ruddy cheeks, which is a problem, frankly, because he wasn't. But he was a handsome lad for, uh, for that time. Whatever they described as handsome, that's what he was. He was the handsome younger son. He was the slayer of Goliath. And there's not a boy on the planet who doesn't like a good giant killing story. So that was a great thing. He was the true king of Israel, the establisher of the throne of David. He was the, the mighty one. Then as I grew up, we were allowed to know some more stories. And in my adulthood, I learned the bad stories, or at least some of them. But is it not true? I just want you to go back and remember that we minimized those stories very quickly. We tried to explain them away in the rush to put David, the man after God's own heart. And by the way, that phrase doesn't mean what you think it does. When most people say it, you know, if I were to say this, you know, my grandson is a boy after my own heart. We all know what that means, but it doesn't mean what the phrase means here it means he was in pursuit of it it doesn't mean he was like god it meant he was trying and he didn't do well there were a lot of times Moret, he spilled everybody's milk and did it intentionally and did it venal he was venal about it he was intentionally evil about it if you call the phrase david a man after god's own heart and I did, you will come up with quite a few websites that will give you five, ten reasons why David was a man after God's own heart. And I appreciate their efforts. I really do. Fact is, David did a lot of good. And he was key to establishing the kingdom of Israel. And yet, how long did his kingdom last? Not long. It lasted through the reign of one son. The next son, it busted up. It never came completely together again. One person has written and saying, you know, I've never heard much about Absalom. We're going to talk about Absalom, but not today. It fell apart. While David honored God and poured out his heart in the Psalms, which, by the way, we still use, and I believe God wanted us to, that's the songbook that Jesus would have used. He didn't honor God's rules about how to treat people. And he didn't honor women. In fact, his treatment of women was deplorable. I am telling this story today for a couple of reasons. One is I've always wanted Michael to get her day. And that Michael is a girl, M-I-C-H-A-L, in our letters. I, I want her to get her day. I want her story out there. But I also wanted to do it for another reason. Right now, there seems to be almost an epidemic of megachurch pastors and their vast staffs um, falling apart with sexual allegations and actual sexual confessions of sexual misconduct. And what I find on Twitter, which if you've never seen a train wreck into a dumpster fire over a cliff, into a garbage pit. That's what Twitter is. I see Christians rushing to defend the pastors and those that didn't report sexual abuse. 
And one of the things they always bring up, well, well, David, understand something about the Bible. Reporting something is not the same as approving it. Think of the, the death of Jephthah's daughter. Jephthah made a stupid oath and then he stupidly kept it. I'll sacrifice whatever comes out of the city first. Well, that's not smart. And then his daughter comes out and he decides, oh, well, I made a promise. That's not smart. And I've had, I've had atheist friends of mine come and say, how can a God who, and I say, it wasn't God, it was Jephthah. And they'll say, but it's in the Bible. The Bible's reporting what happened. It isn't saying God approved. God certainly did not approve of what happened to Michael. Michael was the younger daughter of King Saul. King Saul was mentally ill. And we can see that because he was, his moods went like crazy. And it, it's likely that he suffered from some sort of chronic pain as well. Because there were times where he would bring in David to play the harp because the music would help him rest and get over the pain. So a very complex individual, a very difficult individual. And sometimes he loved David like a son and other times he actively tried to kill David. And it's according what he felt like at that time. But Michael, the Bible says that Michael was beautiful and Michael loved David. Significantly, there is no passage in scripture ever that says that David loved Michael. But Michael loved David. So Saul decided to bind, instead of an enemy, bind him as an ally. And as they often did in those times, they do that through marriage. And so he offers Michael to David. Now think about this. Michael loved David. So that's she lucked out there, but she had no say in this. This was all dictated. Women went where they were told, and they had no say. Many places in the world, it is still that way today. This is, you're going to be offered to David. And David kind of shoved it off a bit and said, I am a poor and lightly esteemed man, which is a way of saying, I can't afford her. It's interesting. In some cultures, the bride's family has to pay a massive dowry to get somebody to marry her. But in another culture, the man has to pay a massive bride price for the family to allow him to have the bride. In both cases, marriage is a complex, monetary, treaty-based event. There's only one marriage in Scripture that says that they loved each other, and that's Jacob and Rachel. That's the only one. And that's shocking to me, frankly. But Michael loved David. So Saul said, well, and by the way, the emotional needs of the bride or the groom are not important. It's, the, it's a community thing. So Saul says, well, you, you'll be greatly esteemed. I'm, I'm, I'm censoring this because we have many children listening to this, all right? He says, if you bring me 100 body parts, of the Philistines. These are body parts that the Philistines would not willingly offer. All right? Think, think like collecting scalps, but elsewhere. <clears throat> David brings back 200. And there was much rejoicing. Hold on. Think about this. Why did those 200 men die? 
And I say die because they're not, they're not doing this willingly. Because David wanted to kill him and gain a wife because he loved her. No, power, position. Can we imagine a scenario where this is justified? Where God would have approved this? Can you imagine a scenario where Jesus would have said, you know what would be good? Go kill these 200 Philistine guys who've done nothing wrong. They just happen to be born in the wrong family and live in the wrong tribe. That's all. But go kill them and that'll show your father-in-law you mean business. You cannot imagine it. The Bible reports it, but it does not equal God approving it. Michael did love David, and she risked her life for David. When Saul was trying to kill David, she sent his messengers the wrong way, even though she knew that would rebound back on her, and she would suffer. There were other times that she helped David escape. She seemed to have his care, his needs, and his safety as her top priority. And yet, after his escape... There is absolutely no indication in Scripture that David ever sent for her or sent her any message. She was something to be used. She was not a person to him. In fact, after she helped him escape, he took other wives and did not reach back for her. So Saul says, well... I'm going to give you to somebody else now. Again, Michael's desires are not in play. So Saul gives her to a man named Palti. Palti, the scripture, it makes it very plain, loved Michael. He adored her. Later, much later, David becomes king of Judah. Saul's son, Ishbosheth. And that is not easy for me to see. Ishbosheth is king of Israel. David is just king of Judah. But they are in constant conflict. And so they decide rather than continuing war, because war is a horrible waste of resources, lives, and time. You never come out ahead on war. So they say, let's have a meeting. And they're doing peace terms. And then David brings up, says, well, here's something. You have to give me all this stuff and Michael. I want Michael back. Ishbosheth said, okay. Because they were men of power, they ripped Michael away from Palti, who loves her. And in one of the most pitiful scenes in Scripture, she is walking through the villages to return to David, Palti is walking behind her crying. David doesn't care. And David doesn't say, I, I want her back because she's my wife and I love her. He said, I want her back because I collected 200 body parts, therefore she belongs to me. It was a, it was a chess piece. Nothing more. He could not have cared less about Palti's pain or Michael's wishes. So, later, David brings the Ark of the Covenant in, and he dances in a way that Michael finds highly inappropriate for a king. In the last week or so, you have seen the 
transfer in the royal family of Breton from Queen Elizabeth II to King Charles III. And I think a lot of people have, have remarked about how, you know, we don't want a monarchy and we don't want a royalty, but how much Christ was in every service that was done. And he was. It was Christ-saturated service. And they've remarked about how, you know, this, um, how they, they did everything just perfectly, the ceremony. And it is part of the British, I think, mindset to deal with pain and drama through procedure and, and a dignity. And whether or not that's the right way to do it, that's the way they've done it forever. And uh, I, I kept hearing American reporters saying, how did you guys get this together all of a sudden? And, and the British people look at me and go, we've been doing this a thousand years. We didn't put this just together. Well, we all say, no matter if you want a king or not, there's an appropriate way for them to act. A president, there's an appropriate way for them to act. A senator, same way, a pastor. Well, David dancing, and the scripture says naked, uh, but it also says he was wearing a linen ephod. And I have brethren that try to make a linen ephod, uh, something that goes from here all the way down to the, the, the feet. Um, it wasn't quite that modest, guys. Just stop it. David, David, had it, David spilled a lot of milk. And if, if you fast forward through the communion, you don't know what I'm talking about. You need to go back. See, caught you. Um, we're going to do these little tests there. Fast forward any time past my singing, the world understands. But here, she told him, that's not the way a king acts. Remember, this is a woman who loved him, who helped him survive at least twice, who put her own life at risk by doing so. And David dismisses her, and the scripture says she is cursed because she never had children. And that was the worst thing that could happen to a woman back then. That was her value to the community. That was her value to society. By the way, we do not know whether she didn't have children because God cursed her, which I don't believe. Scripture just doesn't say. I believe it was because David wouldn't touch her, but kept her from everyone else as a prize. Because David did things like that. In 2 Samuel 6 is that story, if you want to look at it, 16 through 23. And he, he reeks of contempt for her whenever he speaks back to her. See the complete and utter lack of compassion, value, or care for this woman. And that's not the only time we find this in David's life. Far better known is the story of David and Bathsheba, which can only be described as rape because there was such a power differential that that could never be a wooing. I've even had preachers paint this as if Bathsheba was trying to seduce David. No. Read a history book about the Semitic ways of life and where she would have been bathing and where he was allowed to be. And you find he was out of place. He was doing wrong. And in fact, to try to cover up what he did, he even resorted to murder, treachery, and treason against his nation. But that ain't the only time. When he was old and unable to keep warm, they brought a young girl and put them. Uh, her job was to stay in his bed and keep him warm. 
There's never a mention of the girl's needs, wants, the dreams of the girl, the experiences of the girl. She didn't matter. We sometimes sing this. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When Jesus came down, he could not have been more different than David. It's almost intentional. I would tell you that it is intentional. Not only did he come down, he brought back the original order of things. Do you remember what Jesus would talk about? God created them from the beginning, male and female. It was his plan for male and the woman. He leaves the, the, their father's house. They cleave to each other. They become one flesh. This was God's intention. Adam and Eve were not subject to each other. They were equals in love. They were equals with each other entered in. So Jesus comes and he brings paradise back. He cherished and cared for his mother who was not cherished and cared for by the community. He showed love to the Samaritan woman when nobody else would. He showed love to the woman caught in adultery and in fact made sure that the, he, she was not going to be judged and killed by those men. He talked for the woman in Luke 7 who was caught in sexual slavery, not telling her to stop because she, she had no choice over that. She had no part of that, but rather told her she was forgiven. Always speaking to women in public, which was not done by Semitic people, speaking to them openly with respect. And in fact, whenever he would say, this is great faith, it is almost always talking about women. Wow. He honored Mary and Martha. He told the crowd that the woman who had had an issue of blood and therefore had been separated from the community for all those years was now under his protection. Daughter, he called her. The only person he ever called daughter. Daughter, you go in peace. And that's a way of letting the people know, you touch her, you touch me. How different from David could you be in the treatment of women? I would ask you to do something, especially if you think you know your Bibles. Go back and read the Gospels again and make a note, keep a journal of every time Jesus interacted with a woman and just see how he goes out of his way time after time after time to meet them, speak with them, speak for them, listen to them, honor them, and if necessary, put them under his protection because they still live in that society. And then his kingdom is brought to us. What does that kingdom look like? Well, it looks like this in Galatians chapter 3, verses um, 26 through 28. Let's do that. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. See, don't be a David. Be a Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there any male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. 
We're not doing the men up here, the women down here. We're not doing that. We're not saying the Jews up here, the Gentiles down here. We're not saying there's a favored race, that there's a favored politics. No, no. If you belong to Jesus, it's time to act like Jesus. And then as Jean-Anne read for us so well today, the prophet Joel prophesied, and Peter in the first gospel sermon, have you ever paid attention to this? In the first gospel sermon preached by the apostles after the resurrection and ascension, Peter quotes Joel. And in that passage, in those six verses, he says twice that the women and young women will prophesy alongside the men. And that's a sign of the kingdom of God. Have you ever paid attention? Have you ever seen it? In fact, there are times that little verses kind of zip by us without any commentary because they didn't need to. Like Acts 21 and verse 9, where it says that Philip the evangelist and his four daughters who preached with him. And it never says, because now they were allowed to, because... No, it was already assumed. No, that's what Jesus did. Jesus brought a different story than we'd had before. Now, a word of warning. Pendulums swing wide. And so do elements in our culture and practice. Don't swing toward disrespect for men as we're trying to elevate women. Don't swing toward disrespect for women when we try to elevate men. All are elevated by Jesus. Choose the Jesus road. Choose to honor all men. Choose to honor all women. Lay aside the borders. As Greg said, we have a very lean thing here. Uh, we don't put money, you know, we don't have to meet a mortgage payment. We don't have to meet a utility payment. We don't have to do that. We're not putting our money into bricks. We're putting it into bread, as Dutch masters told us uh, months ago and illustrated for us. We want to honor all people, but if we're breaking down those borders, then we also have to break down any racial or sexual borders. We've already broken down national borders. We've broken down religious borders. But we have some more borders to break down and take the Jesus road. And men, just a word for you. When I work with young men in particular, I always bring up a serious talk. Women are not prey. They are not there to be hunted. They are there to be heard. They are there to be seen. They are there to be listened to. They are there to be cared for. They are there to be loved. They are not weaker. They are not lesser. They are not other. They are made in the image of God. So are you. Act accordingly. And especially now when so many pastors and mega churches are collapsing. Uh, some of the greatest songs coming out of one of these churches are now being stilled because so much corruption is said to have been underneath and there have been some confessions that concerts have been canceled and books not going to be printed. We now, we need to make a choice to never use our power and position to mistreat women or anyone else ever. Take 
the Jesus wrote, not the David wrote. Final thought. David is honored in Scripture, and I believe that David is saved. And that may shock some of you, but you need to understand that the grace that covered him is available for you, not to excuse your sin, but to save you. If you continue to pursue after God's own heart, David did not ever have the heart of God, but he was in pursuit. He wanted it. In all of his completely horrific errors, he still was pointed the right direction most of the time. And I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't say, those who find it, those who get through the door, and those who know will be saved. He said, those who are asking, seeking, knocking. At least they're faced that way. All of us are a mess. Most of us will never harm people like David did. At least I pray so. But if God's grace covers him, that grace covers us. So once again, take the Jesus road. And thank God for grace. And make it a point when we get to heaven. Go give Michael a hug. I think she deserves honor. And she deserves her story being told. At this church, there is no difference between men and women. And I'm excited to tell you that next week, I'll be away. And normally when I'm away, I do a video sermon. But there's a whole event here this weekend just for women. And we're going to see a video about it here with a beautiful spokeslady that I happen to know. Uh, and then after that, we will be able to close out. But Marette will be preaching here next week uh, because... Not, and I almost said in my place, but no, because she, that's, she's preaching for Jesus. And we don't have a problem with that. But I do invite you, those of you that do have a problem, to write me. My, my email is patrick at rsafeharbor.com. I will answer you the best I can. But you need to be aware these stories are in here. And the Jesus stories carry weight. In fact, they carry the, the greatest weight. May God bless us and help us take the Jesus road. Let's look at the video. Hi, ladies. This is a quick reminder for you. Our second annual Hearth and Harvest is quickly approaching. This year, our theme is Refilling Your Cup. Friday evening, September 30th, we will be hosting a combined place at the table for all of our local groups, as well as any of our visitors from out of town. Dinner is from 6 to 8, with shuttles running from 5.30 to 6, and from 8 to 8.30 to return you to your cars. Registration is live on rsafeharbor.com. It is under upcoming events. It's also under the tab for Harbor Lights Women's Ministry. And you can also access this within the weekly newsletter. It's really easy to sign up this year. All you need to do is type in your name and an email address. Saturday morning's program will be both in-person and virtual. Local attendees should plan to arrive at the soundstage by 9 a.m. with shuttles starting at 8.30. Online attendees can begin tuning in at 9 with the program starting at 9.15. The morning live stream will close just before noon. Those attending in person should plan on staying for lunch and table discussion. Again, there are links to register on rsafeharbor.com. For Saturday's event. Please specify in the comments whether you plan to be in person or virtual. 
There's no charge to attend this year's event. Meals will be simple with a baked potato bar, salad and dessert on Friday evening, a continental breakfast on Saturday morning, and a selection of homemade soups and breads on Saturday afternoon. We would love to have you here, but we need to know that you are coming. Thank you. Told you, told you she was beautiful. Um, so this, this weekend is a very important weekend. And so ladies, if you've been holding back a bit, uh, they really need to get your name in. So make sure you get your name in. And if you miss some of that, the wonders of the internet, go back and hit pause so that you can get all the details. Also, they are available at our website at OurSafeHarbor.com. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, we have one more song, and especially after a story like this, aren't you glad that our Savior is Jesus, and not David or anybody else, but Jesus? Jesus.